Thessalonians chapter 5, and our text is verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. This morning, we want to speak for a while on the subject, a call to wakefulness. And that call needs to be heard. It needs to be sounded out. And oh, how our people and our nation needs to waken up. Let's first of all have prayer as we seek the Lord. Our Father, we do thank Thee for an open Bible. We thank Thee for Scripture, the inspired Word of the living God. We thank thee for the privilege of meeting around the book and we pray for help today as we minister from thy word. Lord, this is thy word, not man's word. Therefore, we pray for a hearing ear and an understanding heart and an obedient will that we might follow on to know the Lord. So bless each of us now as we settle around the book. Lord, help us to profit much as we listen to the word of God. So pour out thy spirit upon us. Bless us and do us good. Minister to our needs. We ask it in our Savior's name and for our Savior's sake. Amen. A call to wakefulness. Let us not sleep, but let us watch. Sleep, of course, is one of the most amazing gifts that God has bestowed upon our human frame. We couldn't do without it, humanly speaking. When one has reached the allotted span of 70 years, as the Bible speaks of, it is reckoned that they have spent around 23 years sleeping. Would you believe that? That some have already spent in their lifetime around 20 years sleeping. The body, overcome with fatigue and tiredness, shuts off its hearing. The eyelids close off the vision and the brain slips into neutrality. What a blessing and what a boon to the body, sleep truly is. We couldn't manage without our sleep. Sleep, then, is an unspeakable blessing to the physical man. And God has made us that way and bestowed that blessing upon us. But, nevertheless, there is a sense in which It can be an 
unparalleled danger and an impediment to the spiritual man. We've got to differentiate. It is as enchanted ground to the pilgrim on his way to heaven. Enchanted ground is ground where magic arts are wrought and where witches and spirits practice their evil works. And on that ground, it's known as enchanted ground. John Bunyan, in his great classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, pictured it when he wrote of Christian and of Hopeful, and he said, I saw in my vision that they went on until they came into a certain country whose air naturally tended to make one drowsy. Here, Hopeful began to be very dull and heavy, so that he said to Christian, I can scarcely hold my eyes open. Let us lie down here and take a nap. Christian reminded Hopeful that one of the shepherds had warned them to beware of the enchanted ground. The enchanted ground is strewn with pitfalls for everybody and especially for the believers who follow Christ. We are so apt, aren't we, to become drowsy and sleepy in respect to spiritual things, spiritual interests, and spiritual duties. While in natural things we press on and we daily live our lives and we put our hearts and souls into what we're doing, and yet, nevertheless, when it comes to spiritual matters, oftentimes our chariot wheels come off and they become stuck in the enchanted ground of our slumbers. The exhortation of the Apostle Paul here is very timely. Therefore, let us not sleep. Let us not sleep. May that ring loudly in our ears, arousing us from our sleep, causing us to vacate the sluggard's chair and enabling us to watch and to be sober. To be sober-minded is to be alert. It is to live with our eyes open. It is to be sane and sober and steady in our Christian walk. To make the contrast even more vivid, the Apostle Paul here pictures two groups of people in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter. One group was drunk and asleep, while the other group was awake and all alert. Danger was coming, but the drunken sleepers were unaware of it. The awake and the alert group was ready 
and they were not afraid. Since we are the sons of the day, as our scripture reading told us, we should not live as those who belong to the darkness. We should not not live as those who live for the world. We should live for God, for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. We should live for those things which are eternal. In Romans chapter 13, verses 11, 12, and 13, we read these words, And that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, Not in chambering. What does that word mean? It just simply means immorality. And isn't there so much of that today around in all manner and walks of life? Not walking in chambering and wantonness. What's wantonness? It is indecency. And we see so much of that around today as well, not only in public life, but even in our homes on the television screen. Indecency, wantonness, chambering, and immorality. Oh, how we need to be awake, and how this call to uh, awakeness and this call should be heeded today, that we might be awake to these things so that we might shun and not become part of it and seek to live a life that is separated unto God and to his glory and to his honor. When we see these things happening today, we need the grace and the help of the Lord because the day is coming. The Bible speaks of that day. What is that day? What does it mean? It means that day, the coming of Christ, the return of the Lord, the day when he shall appear. And Paul emphasizes that day. And in the light of that day, which is approaching, we must wake up. We must clean up. And we must dress up by putting on the breastplate of faith, as Paul speaks here, and of love, and a helmet, the hope of salvation. Only the armor of light will adequately protect us in these days before our Lord's return. Oh, let us put on the armor of light. Paul is concerned here for the church at Thessalonica. He has a great concern. His concern is for the believers at Thessalonica that they sleep not. 
that they sleep not. Sleepiness is common to the church of Jesus Christ. Though Christ, the head of the church, neither slumbers nor sleeps, yet those who are Christ's are found slumbering and sleeping while he tarries his return. And while we await his return, oftentimes we're found slumbering and sleeping, slothful and slothful in the things of God. The Lord had cause to level such a complaint against his own disciples in Matthew chapter 26. While he was in dark Gethsemane, he was there sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. His soul was in agony, and his spirit was exceeding sorrowful unto death. And while the Lord there in Gethsemane viewed the cup of our judgment and the cup of God's wrath against our sin, what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. They were slumbering. They were dead to the world, as it were. The Lord commanded his disciples to be vigilant. He commanded them to watch and to pray. The heart of Christ in the garden of Gethsemane was all compassion. Full of compassion and love. He agonized over lost souls there in the garden. Whereas the disciples, even the three that were in the inner circle, were weary, were dull, and were sleeping. They had eyes, but their eyes were bleary. Their eyes were blinkered. Their eyes were heavy. Oh, God has given us eyes, and we can see. But spiritually speaking, are they not often blinkered? Are they not often bleary and heavy? And we see not the vision for souls. How could those disciples sleep when Christ was in such agony? How can you sleep when souls are out of Christ. Souls in our homes, souls in our churches, souls in our community, souls around us out of Christ without a Savior, lost, and if they're not saved, will be lost forever. How can we sleep? A call to wakefulness. Oh, may God stir us And may God arouse us to see the great need all around so that we might not slumber, but that we might be awake and we might seek to win the lost for Christ by our our lives, by our prayers, by our words, by our actions. We ought to have a passion for souls, even comparable to Paul's when he said in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22, he said, To the weak became I as weak, that I might 
gain the weak or win the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Are you using all means to save some? To bring the lost in to the kingdom? To show them the way of salvation? And to cause them to know their sins forgiven? Paul used all lawful means. He willingly denied himself so that he might, under God, pluck others as brands from the burning. Oh, may God be pleased to use ourselves. In these days of great degeneration, of departure from the truth, of increasing darkness and overwhelming rebellion against God, may God be pleased to use us to pluck sinners as brands from the fire. Pull them from the fire. Bring them to Christ that they might be saved and born again. You and I ought not to sleep in respect to the souls of others. We ought not to sleep also in respect to ourselves. While Samson, you will remember, slept, he lost his strength. In Judges chapter 16, he went to sleep on the lap of temptation and was shorn of his strength He became so insensible and sleepy that he was taken a prey in Delilah's net, the net of the devil. C.H. Spurgeon, preaching on Judges 16, said, There are a thousand razors with which the devil can shave off the locks of strength of even a consecrated man. That's solemn, isn't it? A thousand razors that the devil can use to shave off your strength for God, to cut your strength away from the Lord. That's solemn. It makes us think, doesn't it? You must awake then, and so must I, to every inroad that the devil seeks to make into your life. Awake to it. Be alert to it. Into your home. Into your community. Even into our nation. Oh, the (coughs) enemy is presently coming in like a flood. And it's only the Spirit of God that can raise up the standard against him. And may it be that God will use us to lift up Christ, to lift up his word, to lift up the testimony for the Savior that others might see that there's another way, that there is a a right way, there's a proper way, and it's the way of the cross. It's the way which leads home. 
It's the way which leads out of darkness into light and from the power of Satan unto God. We ought not to sleep in respect to preserving the truth. In Matthew chapter 13, we read of a parable. It's called the parable of the, of the tares. And in verse 25 of that chapter, it tells us that uh, when the husbandman slept, what happened? We're told the enemy sowed tares among the wheat. That's when the husbandman slept. Oh, the citadel of truth must be guarded. This Bible must be guarded. The way of salvation must be guarded. The preaching of the gospel must be guarded. The freedom of salvation must be guarded. And while the LGBT plus, 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 whatever community wants to ban the preaching of the gospel, shut down the, the preaching of the word, we must take our stand in these days for the things of Christ, the purity of the word of God, the purity of living a life for him. And oh, we must not sleep on this matter. There's a call to wakefulness, even in regard to the standards of our nation and the standards of our own little province. And we are seeing in these days, we're seeing such a mix-up and mess-up of things both spiritually and politically and religiously. Oh, what a state our little land is in. We, divine truth is to be bought at any price, and it's not for sale. James chapter 1 verse 18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits, of his creatures. And so there we are. We are to be standard bearers for the truth of God. Truth sanctifies. It is both a looking glass to show us our blemishes and it is a lever to wash those blemishes away. Truth sets us free. It breaks the fetters of sin and gives us liberty. <coughs> Truth is solacing. It's comforting. Truth is what builds us up, what makes us strong. You see, when David's heart could give him no comfort, he tried to play and it would bring him no comfort. But he could say of the truth of God's word in Psalm 119 verse 50, he could say, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. While his harp couldn't comfort him, his vial couldn't comfort him, 
He found comfort in the word of God, in the truth of God, and it quickened him, it enlivened him, it awakened him, and it brought newness of life into him. Oh, what a difference it made. The word of God not only imparts faith and expectation, but it also brings comfort to those who trust in the Lord. We're trusting in God today. Do you find comfort in his word? Do you find time to read his word? To study his word? And thus, as a result, to find comfort in his word. Because God's word comforts, it steadies and strengthens his own people and makes them strong in the Lord. We all need comfort for the rough times we experience. We need comfort for the demanding trials through which we pass on this our earthly journey. Perhaps you are in the midst of a storm just now. Perhaps you're experiencing adversity just now or are suffering some affliction at this particular time. It is a great thing to be able to point to the promise of God and say, this is my comfort. This is my comfort. The Christian can only be sustained by the sure comfort of the Holy Scriptures. Mark those words in Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort. Only four words. Mark them. Write them down. Put them in the flyleaf of your Bible. Make them a motto for you. And say daily, this is my comfort. It'll get you through many's a trial. It'll bring you through many's a difficulty. It'll lighten up the darkness. God will shine on the inspired page. And he'll inspire you. And he'll lift you up. And he'll set you rejoicing on the rock. That's to be the experience of God's people. Mark those words. How dark would the night be for the child of God if he were not able to point to the book? Excuse me. If he were not able to point to the book and say, this is my comfort. How dark would the valley of the shadow of death be even for the child of God? If that child of God could not point to the book and say, This is my comfort. Yet I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Oh, let the Holy Spirit today drive this blessed truth into your soul. Into your mind. Immerse your whole being that you're taken up with it. This is my comfort. The Lord has not left you to carry on with the difficulty and 
with the affliction. He's not left you under the dark clouds of the night season or of the valley of the shadow without saying, this is my comfort. Thank God there's a comfort in the book for every one of us. The truth leads us to the Lord who is the true the truth incarnate. And Jesus Christ is that truth. And this Bible leads us to him. He said, I am the way. We've discovered that. He says, I am the truth. And he says, I am the life. And with the way, the truth and the life, thank God we have him with us on our life's journey. Not only was Paul concerned about the church at Philippi, that they sleep not, but he gives some causes for their sleepiness. And the Bible gives causes because when we read of the Israelites, when they fled before the men of Ai in the book of Joshua, Joshua did not rest until he put his finger on the cause of the trouble. And neither should we. We find ourselves drowsy, sleepy, slumbering. We need an awakening. Don't rest until you put your finger on the cause of what's causing it. Don't just push it over. Don't sidestep it. Put your finger like Joshua on the cause. There was sin in the camp of Israel at that time. Achan was the sinner. And he caused the whole camp to suffer because of his sin. What is it that causes you to sleep when you should be wide awake and up and doing in the master's vineyard? What is it? Is it not sin? Oh, how we need to confess sin. Admit it and put our finger on it. Ask God to forgive and to cleanse and to wash, us, wash it away. Slumber is a cause of sleeping, sleepiness. It leads to it, doesn't it? In Matthew chapter 25, the virgins slumbered and slept while they waited for the bridegroom. There was a resting at ease. There was a nodding of the head, as it were. And from there, there was a quick progression to a sound sleep. And five of those virgins were asleep when the Lord, when the bridegroom came. And when the shout was made and the knock was heard and they arose and they began to shuffle and fuss and they had no oil in their lamps and they had to go away and they weren't ready. They weren't ready. Are you ready for the Lord's coming? For the coming of the bridegroom? Christ is the great bridegroom, isn't he? He's married to his church. We are his people. 
He loves us. He died for us. He washed us in his own blood. He cares for us. He comforts us. He provides for us. He does all things for us. Are we ready for his coming? If the bridegroom should come, would you have to shuffle around and make preparation? This thing and that thing and the other thing, get it all into place. Oh, how we need to be ready. How we need to be ready. Ready when our Lord should come. Thank God the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Prosperity may also lead to spiritual sleepiness. Remember David? When he was in the midst of plenty, when he was prosperous, his spirituality waned. How do I know? Well, we know because he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And furthermore, he slew Uriah, his friend, Bathsheba's husband. So the commandment tells us, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not kill. David did both. In his day of prosperity, when he was walking the high rails of society, King of Israel, parading himself as the leader of the nation, prospering in every way, became drowsy, dull, and sleepy in spiritual matters and committed great sin against the Lord and against his own people. How are the mighty fallen? Let us take heed lest we fall. Let's not think that we are somebody when we're nobody. Let's not think we're strong when we're weak. Let's not think we're great when we're weak. But let's trust in the Lord. Yes, David fell. Thank God when we read of David when he wasn't in that high position when David was hounded by Saul hiding in the rocks and the dens of the wilderness David was closer to the Lord David was near to the Lord David rejoiced in the Lord and David knew the Lord and felt his presence. Moses also warned Israel of the danger of prosperity. Ere they entered the promised land, it was the place of plenty, the promised land, where they would eat and where they would be full. And in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, Moses warns them and he says, Beware. In fact, it's God who's warning them through Moses. And he says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes 
which I command thee this day. Moses feared that they would go to sleep spiritually on the pillow of worldly prosperity. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 15, we have, we're told there that the bride has dove's eyes. Did you know that when you married your bride that she had dove's eyes? Well, the Bible says the bride has dove's eyes. And what does that mean? Well, you know, the dove will peck away at the food that it gathers on the ground. And in pecking away at that food, the head is down, the eyes are looking downward. But the Bible tells us in the Song of Solomon that the dove lifts her eyes upward to heaven. That is that while you're doing your daily round and common task here on earth, of course it's earthly. But don't forget, be like the dove. Lift your eyes up. And the psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Don't always be looking down. Don't always be groveling in the things of the world. But look up. (coughs) Look up to the Lord. Lift your heart. Lift your eyes. And God will lift you up. And God will help you. And God will be with you. David said in Psalm 119 again, that lovely psalm that we heard so much about during the exposition from Mr. McCammon. He said in verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them which keep thy precepts. You see, another cause of sleepiness is our company. It's our company. The company you keep. If you would keep yourself awake and your heart stirred in the things of God, then you must watch your company. Carnal company will lull you into spiritual sleep. I am a companion of them that fear the Lord, said David, and of them that keep God's precepts, keep God's word, God's commandments. What a profitable companionship David had with Jonathan. We read in 1 Samuel 23, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. That's a friend, isn't it? One who strengthens your hand in God. What company do we keep? Do they strengthen your hand in God? Oh yes, we can't help but mix with those with whom we work in the daily round. But spiritually speaking, friends, we need friends who will strengthen our hands in the Lord. And we can say there's no greater friend than Christ himself. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Thank God today 
for our blessed Savior. He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's the friend who will carry us on his shoulder. The friend who will embrace us to his very being. The friend who will never leave us nor forsake us. There's a cure for all this sleepiness. And what is it? Well, let me mention just a few. The time is gone. We are cured by the, by the scriptures. Paul writes in chapter 6 of this epistle, verse 20, despise not prophesying. And what does he mean there? Prophesying, preaching. That's what it is. Despise not preaching. How many today despise the house of God? No time for the preaching of the word. Even some of God's people uh, 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 despise the, the house of God. What a tragedy. The scriptures will preach us, will keep us from being drowsy and from sleepiness. The word of God, the preaching, the reading, the study of the word. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11, Solomon tells us the words of the wise are as goads. Goads? What's a goad? Well, the ox goad is a sharp-pointed instrument. A long rod or stick by which the person driving the plough taught an ox an awkward or stubborn ox to walk on the way that he wanted it to go. The meaning of the word goad is to urge or to stimulate. The goad was used by the farmer to uh, plod, prod the oxen. When he was plowing the field, the oxen might flag in its work. It might slow down, and by using this long stick or rod with the pricks at the end of it, he would prick the heel of the oxen, and they would jump, and away they would go. They would be alerted, they'd be quickened, they'd be set on fire, as it were. How we need the gold, don't we? The pricks of God pricking the heart, pricking the soul, so that we might jump and be alerted to avoid the sins that are around us and live unto holiness and to the glory of the Lord. David knew the experience of this. He wrote in Psalm 119, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me, or goaded me, or pricked me with them, the scriptures. And then, of course, not only by the scriptures, but by prayer as well. In writing to this church at Thessalonica, Paul says, uh, quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. And he exhorted them, he says, pray always. So the scriptures, prayer, and the spirit are three things we must remember.
which will awaken us and which will keep us from being drowsy and falling a prey, an easy prey, to the enemy of our souls. What about it today? Oh, may even the very promise of Christ's coming again inspire us, quicken us, prod us, prick us, be a good to us to live out and out every day and all day for Jesus Christ, for his glory and for his honor. I trust that will be the case even for our blessed Savior's sake.